Welcome to Actions Antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. There are a lot of people out there who start up businesses, start up companies, and I have a lot of admiration for that whole process. My guest here today, Greg Tanner of Aspen Capital Fund, spent his July starting up 31 companies in 31 days. So over the course of 31 days, 31 new companies were started up. Here to talk about that experience, Greg, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate being here. 31 companies in 31 days. The first thing I need to ask you is just how busy did that make your July? <laughs> it was very busy. Took a lot of um, discipline and uh, kind of what I call high income skills to get these all going. I had some of these ideas before. Actually, I watched someone do 31 startups last year mm -hmm. in August, a guy named Mark Rimes. And then I also watched another guy named Doc Williams do 100 startups in 100 days last year. Oh, wow. Yeah. He's a phenomenal inspiration. He builds a business every Thursday on YouTube on a YouTube show. Oh, wow. And he shows you how to do it. It's really cool. Well, that's awesome. So anyone out here listening that's wanting to learn more about the process and how to start up a business can check out this Doc Williams YouTube channel. Yes. And he shows you how to do like no code app building. He shows hmm. you how to all sorts of types of businesses. Like It's crazy. There's a lot of how-to and good ideas yeah. there. So I think that was the inspiration. I was going to do it last year with Mark. However, my August was just too busy. I was like, I wasn't able to do it. So this year, I just mm -hmm. decided to do it and had a lot of ideas since I started Aspen Capital Fund. Uh, my nephew and I have this thing called the Tanner Idea Factory. We okay. have all these ideas, but some of them we were just like, we never got to, or that's a really good idea, but then it was just an idea. So yep. I took some of those out of there. I've taken some things that I've been wanting to do for obviously my business at Aspen Capital Fund and some of the other things that I thought were good ideas. So it was a good experiment. I learned a lot about, obviously, I've done some startups before, but I think now in this age of creators, it's really interesting to try to figure out how do you monetize your idea and how do you scale it? That's the biggest takeaway I learned from it. And some of these ideas, I stood it up and I was like, no one's going to ever give me a time for this thing. So yeah. it was a failure the day that it was opened or started, right? So, and you got to know when to walk away from some of these ideas. You can't be so in love with it. I mean, it does take grit, but you don't want to be wasting months on a startup yeah. that's not going to make any money. That's a very good point because I think there is a fine line between whether it be starting up a business or taking on any endeavor between giving up on something before you even give it a chance and sticking with something that's obviously not going to go anywhere when you've kind of put a lot of energy into it. How would you say, or what would you recommend someone who's listening to the show, starting up their own business or starting any other thing in life? How would someone go about knowing when it is time to walk away versus when they're just giving up too soon? It's really about cash flow, right? And mm -hmm. people want that idea. So if you can get someone to part with their hard-earned dollars, you probably have something going there. I tell everyone, like, go on the internet and see if you can get a dollar from anyone. And if you can, you've got some skills there. But if you can't, then it's either your idea or you need to learn some skills on how to get your own following. And that's the best way to test it is to get your friends and family and potential customers to be like, that's an interesting idea. I would like to see it. I would like to watch it, read it. People can say something's interesting, but people aren't going to put money somewhere unless they really believe in it. So someone can say, oh, that's a good idea whether they're just being nice or something, but to know that it actually has traction is when someone's willing to throw up some money. Correct. Right. And I think you need to give like 90 days of cash flow going, consistent cash flow before you give up. 
So if you make a dollar on day 10, then I would say, you know, stick with it for 90 days. And then after 90 days, really evaluate whether you can put more time and effort and money into the business. Yeah, that makes sense. 90 days, a good general guideline for how long you're waiting for this cash flow to actually emerge from an idea. Right. And with all these 31 ideas, and obviously you've pursued other ideas both before and afterwards, what percent of your ideas end up being the ones that you stick with, say, for multiple years and develop an actual cash flow business from? 90% of the startups fail and 10% of the mm-hmm. other ones really keep going. So the first year is the toughest when you see the most drop out. And then you know if they have some grit after that first year, they're going to probably stick with you going forward. But that first year is really the, the telltale sign because I mean you got to get really strong momentum and start to scale towards the end of that year. Yeah. One of the things that comes to my mind when I hear about starting up a business every day for 31 days in a row is that a lot of people feel when they think about the idea of starting up a business or starting up a podcast or starting up anything else is the amount of time, effort, and energy that goes into it. And it's a pretty sizable investment to do any kind of business. Is there something that someone who, say, has a full-time job and wants to pursue something on the side or has a lot of other responsibilities can do to, I guess, minimize the amount of extra exertion to make it seem a bit more manageable to actually pursue what they want to be pursuing? Well, I would say, yeah, there's, first of all, you got to have some really good high-income skills. You've got to be able to build a website, use Zoom, learn how to do video or sound editing. And you've got to have some sort of graphic design skills and some sort of wherewithal. All of those things are going to be important tools in your quiver as you're building a startup because you can either hire people or you can do it yourself. And hiring people is very difficult because the people that you're going to hire have their own time commitments to their own job. Mm -hmm. And that's where people are going to trip up in terms of time. So I would definitely learn those skills, like how to build a website with low code or no code. It's important. Mm -hmm. Learn how to grow a following is really important as well. So building your own community is really the pathway, so to speak. So you want to get a thousand true followers. You can Mm -hmm. get a thousand true followers. You're, those thousand true followers will buy anything that you sell them if they really like you and they love you. Yeah. So I think that's the, mm-hmm. the gist of it. So I've been building these skills for, I had a technical background. Mm-hmm. So, and I exited out of my tech company, but you know, I've had these skills for 20 plus years. So I've just been building on them. So it's daunting, but it's not that daunting. You can start a business in a day, create the graphics, create the logo, get it stood up, <laughs> set up a paywall. Yep. I got really good at understanding paywalls in this process. I would say I had a, on a scale of one to 10, I I had a two skill level. And at the Mm -hmm. end of it, I had a 10, I could set up a paywall, you know, almost in my sleep. And that's an important thing I'd like to point out to the listeners too, because sometimes the best way to learn something is by doing it and getting that practice. And with this talk of high income skills, but if someone to attain some of those higher income skills, so that they could eventually start building and say someone's starting right from scratch. What would you say are the top three, the three most important high income skills someone could try to obtain today? And what would be the best method for them to try to do it, whether it be a Coursera course or just trying something or going to YouTube? Yeah, I think the number one would be understanding WordPress and website building and knowing how to customize that piece of it. I think the second one would be understand search engine marketing, which means 
SEO, that's going to be very important for you. But I think the third skill is really understanding graphic design and being able to create marketing pieces and editing pieces and that sort of stuff. And then the next one, which is four, which I'd say is content writing, right? Learning how to build and create content, whether that's sound, video, or writing, that you're going to need those skills and have that piece of it. I really like Udemy. I think also I use Divi Theme Builder mm-hmm. extensively. And Elegant Themes has amazing resources there for learning how to build a website and using Divi. It's, it's amazing what you can do with that piece of it. And when you Google it, like they come up and they have great videos and you could learn Divi probably in a day just by watching oh, wow. videos. And so you said Udemy and Vidi? Uh, Divi. Divi. Thanks for clarifying. Yeah. It's a theme that you purchase and it loads on top of WordPress and it gives you some uh, low code. I wouldn't say no code, but you can do no code as well. Yeah. And that's really interesting because I think the traditional path, I mean, traditional as far as the history of the internet has always been to either learn some basic HTML, CSS. And when I think about that, I think about those websites from the nineties that would always have this like weird highlighted text. There's always that yellow highlight because they typed in that one command that everybody knows and you could see it in anything now. And those low and no code solutions are pretty interesting What I'm wondering is, do you think that these low and no code solutions have opened up more possibilities to people now than what people would have, say, in the 1990s and early 2000s when it was really all about putting together that basic CSS package? Or has our standards increased accordingly with all these new tools? Yeah, I think the no code is really going to change the way everybody can build things. Anyone can build things now, right? I mean, you mm-hmm. can through Bubble IO, you can write an app. If you got a spreadsheet, you can upload it to Glide. It builds the app automatically for you. So I think that's the wave of the future. And I think last year accelerated that kind of creator mentality and people have been figured it out and are doing a lot of the low code, no code pieces uh, right now. So I read somewhere... I don't know where it was, but there was somebody that had, he was running a $10 million business from his phone in Thailand. Oh, wow. (laughs) So there's that. I mean, you can manage an entire business and he's doing it from his phone in Thailand. So don't even need a computer or a laptop. That is is crazy, especially as someone who kind of wants a little bit less computer time in my life personally. And I'm sure there's a lot of other people that want that too. It's, It's amazing to see all these possibilities. And with these possibilities kind of being generated, do you feel like we're living in some sort of a transformative era or is this just more the natural progression of technology? I think it's a natural progression of technology. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to see a lot more people creating what I'd call their lifestyle businesses or creating Mm -hmm. businesses that will help creators right? in general. So I think that's kind of a cool thing. So there's a lot of Businesses can be created to help people do podcasts, so to speak, right? Or creating online marketing courses, that sort of stuff. So, yeah, that's amazing. When I think of what's happening now, I think of a lot of people are talking about a lot of jobs being automated, especially a lot of jobs that just involve following a procedure and kind of the belief that if your job primarily involves following a procedure, it'll probably be automated in the next 15 to 20 years. And now what that's going to be replaced by, it seems like, are things that involve some form of creativity, some form of, because you can't really automate creating content, for example, or it doesn't seem like it to me right now. Maybe there's something in the pipes that I don't know about. 
you know, there is AI that you can write content. You know, they say it's really good, but it's quite awful. Actually, it looks like, <laughs> it looks like a dog wrote, wrote the article or it's the same article that was already spit out. Like, yeah. it's kind of weird, but you know, there is interesting stuff out there. Like the voice stuff, the voiceover stuff from AWS, like you can type up what you want said and AI reads it and you can make it sound like a, you know, someone with a French accent or whatever. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's really interesting to play with. So I think there is going to be that, I think, in the next decade or so, but in the near future, no. And, you know, I think the automation is really cool, but I think the big transformation is going to be around, you know, electricity and electric vehicles and that sort of stuff. And then I also think Apple AirTags is going to be just as big as the Buds. Apple AirTags? Yeah. So you can tag. I'm not an Apple guy. So you can tag like, here's my car keys. Where are they? Right? So if you lose something, you know, you can put a tag on your your cat and dog and it'll track it. It's really interesting. Oh, wow. One of the things that I always think about whenever I hear about technological advances and what things do is what secondary impacts could come from it. And I imagine people being able to tag their dogs. And the first thing that popped in my head is a lot more dogs being left off leash. Because one of the main reasons people are worried, like, I will never find my dog, especially in places with less busy roads and smaller towns and suburbs, as opposed to in the middle of the city. I'm not going to comment about whether that's good or bad, but it is a trend that I imagine happening from this Apple AirPods. Well, it'll have all these sub-industries, right? Where you can think of the sub-industry that the pods, AirPods created, right? Mm -hmm. All all the people building them and customizing them and Beats by Dre and... Yep. On and on and on. I think that's going to be really interesting because it's going to be a multi-billion dollar segment of the market and it's kind of just created, just coming on. So yeah. I think there's some cool things around that. You know, Entrepreneurs will get creative about something around that industry and start creating around that as well. A few episodes back where we discussed a little bit about the trends, especially trends amongst the younger generation. I had observed some surveys showing that Gen Z or iGen, whatever you want to call the people born 1996, roughly and after, I have no idea when they're going to cut that off, but have a higher interest than the last couple previous generations in entrepreneurship, more are interested in starting their own businesses. And it seemed to be somewhat related to all these new tools that are out there. People, I remember hearing that I haven't joined TikTok yet because I heard it was really addicting, but I heard that it's actually easier to start developing a following and start making money on something on TikTok than it has been on YouTube. And YouTube seemed way easier than anything before that. Do you see this as a trend going forward or do you see more people retreating back to standard jobs? For me, I see a lot of people getting involved from my generation in what we call boring businesses. So Mm -hmm. like laundromats, mailbox rentals, anything like that. (laughs) There's a lot of money in these. Those entrepreneurs are kind of building their own tiny empire. So I see a lot of my generation kind of going back to what I call boring businesses. Yeah. And I think that next generation is going to see TikTok is fun and YouTube is great, but creating content every day and making sure your community is happy is extremely difficult and taxing mm-hmm. physically and um, emotionally. <laughs> yeah. And we've seen that with some influencers last year where influencers have nervous breakdowns and they stop or they run out of creative ideas and they're done. So I think yeah, you'll start to see some of that generation go into lucrative trades like owning a plumbing company or becoming an electrician or becoming a barber or something like that. I mean, those trades are generating six plus figures for a lot of people. And I think after they realize how hard it is to build a community 
I'd rather go work 42 hours a week versus 24 <laughs> seven because they're always on, right? They're always on. It's crazy. Yeah. Especially when like you're a brand. One of the things I thought of in the last few years is HVAC. It's really tough to find an HVAC person, possibly because we live through this recent era of everyone following their dreams or following their desires and wanting to have an impact. I wouldn't say HVAC people don't have an impact. I think part of it may have been that we had a very narrow view, like, oh, if you're not working for environmental justice or healthcare or something, it's not really impactful. Mm -hmm. But HVAC has been in pretty, because people weren't wanting to go into these, as you put it, more boring businesses or more boring jobs the market kind of corrected in the other way. And that's like one of the main reasons why we see teachers making less money than plumbers right now. And part of it's because like, okay, teacher, you feel the impact, whatever, but plumber is something that we had previously, I'd say, and this is one of the things I was wanting to comment on is our previous kind of attitudes we've had about some of these jobs being in some cases, not the best attitudes to these boring businesses and these boring Mm -hmm. jobs. Right. I think what's happening is that there's a lot of smart young people out there right now. And I think they want to have a life work balance. They want to be somewhat financially independent. They don't necessarily say, oh, I want to be a multimillionaire, but they also say, oh, like, I don't want to be making you know $25,000 a year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they're looking at those opportunities a lot differently. Like, oh, I could learn a trade. I could become a plumber. I could own the business. I could have people working for me. I can be as successful or as not successful as I want to be. And I think that's the attitude of people now. And I think also really young people that are just coming out of college now are realizing that everybody's got a college degree and there's not a high demand for, hey, you just got out of school, congratulations, unless you're like an engineer or something. I've met some young people getting out of high school that have just went into a trade. I have a friend's son He went into um, restoration right out of high school. He's 19 years old and he's making six figures working at restoration, doing bids on fire and water restoration and that sort of stuff. I think that's pretty amazing right now. The other great thing is that he's got no college debt and now he's got a skill that is in demand that's probably not going to go away anytime soon. Yeah. And so do you think some of this involves, because one of the traps that I think a lot of people fall into is thinking that the meaning that they want to get out of their lives has to come from their jobs. And I think that's actually a natural reaction to some of the things that I observed growing up, older millennial, my parents were boomers. I observed my dad and some other people working really long hours. And when you work so many hours that you don't have any energy for anything else, if you want a meaningful life, you kind of have to get that meaning out of your job. And now though, if, if people can, as you say, only work 40, 42 hours instead, that gives you the capacity to find meaning through some other endeavor. Right. And I think last year, the pandemic really magnified that piece because people realized I've been in my car for 90 minutes this morning and then I go home for 90 minutes. You know, I've just spent three hours in my car yelling at everybody else (laughs) and (laughs) and honking, right? Yeah. And I think people realize like, gosh, like I'm just wasting my life going to work. Here I can wake up at 5.30, walk down the hall and work till 10, have lunch and be done one o'clock, maybe two o'clock and have the rest of the day or vice versa. Do it upside down. Don't go into work till 10 and do all these things before 10 o'clock and then work till six or something and be done with the day. That's another interesting discussion I've had with a lot of people, tons of people. I'm sure people closest to me are actually tired of hearing about it. But the idea behind, say, Daniel Pink's book, The Power of When, people being able to orient their days because 
for a while, we were all trying to be the same person. We all get in at eight, we all leave at five, but people have different circadian rhythms. People have different preferences and different ways of making themselves happy. I happen to know I struggle with say, getting into work at eight something and just sitting in front of a computer pretty much all day until five, I need to get up and move around a little bit and having that flexibility to orient things in a way that just makes sense for everybody because we're all different people. We all have different bodies, different personalities and different circadian rhythms and preferences. I agree. What I also learned is just working eight hours, just not really productive. You really only work like three hours. I was really working Mm -hmm. like hard on these startups for about four hours in the morning or late at night. And I could get it stood up and barring, you know, any technical problems or anything bad happening, you know, you're not really going to work a solid eight hours. And I really learned that the less I worked, the more creative I was. I was actually able to go, this is good. This is how it works. I learned that just being kind of working through the day isn't really as productive as, hey, I'm going to take some time and really think about what I'm going to do and then do it. And you're actually more productive doing that is what Mm -hmm. I've seen and learned. And I think that was really cool because I'm really good at the end of really getting the stuff stood up and, and knowing what to do. And in the middle of all this, I had malware jump on my server. Oh my gosh. Not just these companies, but other businesses that they have going on (laughs) just was a nightmare. But it took me four days to really get over it. I had to really scorch the earth uh, over the weekend and stayed up late on a Friday, got everything backed up and cleaned, got up on the Saturday, realized that wasn't going to work. So Sunday, I just scorched everything and then went to a backup and and finally overcame it. But that was a challenge of itself. (laughs) Bad, bad timing, but Good lessons learned, you know, make sure you have a backup, make sure you mm-hmm. do have some sort of protection if you value whatever your hosting is and your because sometimes your website could still work and you have malware. And if you don't care, you don't care. But yeah, so. yeah, exactly. Uh, you touched a little bit on creativity. And even though there wasn't like every morning you woke up and you created a new idea, you had 31 ideas at some point in time. What would you say is a good, I want to say creativity hack, a good thing someone can start doing to improve their creativity on a day-to-day basis? Sleep more. (laughs) Sleep more. It's dreaming, right? It's important. I mean, it really is. And put a notepad next to your bed so that when you have the idea, you write it down. Because sometimes I've had a great idea and then I'm like, I I forgot what I was, what was that idea? So that's really important there. But I, I do believe if you don't sleep enough, your brain really needs that to really generate ideas and consume a lot and write down the things that you think are cool ideas or variations on those cool ideas. I think that's important too. And then just practice creating ideas. Not all ideas are great. I mean, trust me, I think I had like seven or eight dumb ideas, I think, (laughs) during the process. And some of them are really cool. We have this pet ID, cat ID card thing. And it's a boring business, really. You know, you're printing out an ID card for a cat. And you could do a dog too. But because Mm -hmm. we have cats, and I know how cat people are, like my wife, She's not averse to buying these ideas for two cats for $20 each. You know, she thinks it's cool. Um, yeah. It's a conversation piece. That was a really cool idea. And it seems like that idea likely came from being observant. One of the things I think of a lot of people who have the idea, people who figure out how to build a business or how to build something, how to serve a need, essentially, which is what nearly all businesses do. They serve some point of a need is to be observant and to see what people around them are doing or willing to do. Because I would have never noticed that people are willing to pay money for cat IDs. Yeah, it's really interesting. And the reason why that kind of came up is that my wife's on Nextdoor 
and there's a cat missing. Yep. And that's like every other day. I'm on next door too. every other day, cat missing dog, missing someone stole my package and they have a picture of the cat, right? Yep. Well, we think we see the cat, right? And it's not the cat because the cat was three miles away, but we've been trying to catch this cat. And then I said, Amy, well, how are we going to know that this is actually this person's cat? Yeah. And she's got a cat pet ID. She's like, here, here it is. I can tell you, I can, I can prove that I own this cat or dog, right? Yep. So I thought that was kind of a cool idea and really kind of looked to how do you do it? Like, well, it's easy. You find an old HR printer because you can imprint an ID. Instead of a person, you put a cat's face on it, you create yep. a template, you fill it out and away you go. I think that's a great little business for somebody that's out there. Obviously, I didn't go mm-hmm. crazy with it, but I thought it was a good idea. One of the things I want to make sure I clarify from my audience as well is when you said consume things, I want to make sure that they understand that we're not talking about consuming a lot of food and consuming a lot of alcoholic drinks or anything like <laughs> no, that. No, definitely. But by consume, I mean, you know, read, listen, watch. So YouTube, podcasts, blogs, books, magazines. Yep. Take courses. You know, one of my favorite things I do is masterclass. Okay. It's not cheap, but it's really cool. Like I took Steve Martin's comedy writing class. Oh, wow. I just thought it was cool. And it was really cool. Like it was, mm-hmm. you know, I, it was really different. I did the Gloria von Faustenberg fashion class too. That was cool. Just get out of your box. Get out of your comfort zone, right? Try yeah. something new. And I guess that can take almost any form, right? You can just go to a museum and check out whatever topic that museum's about. It seems to me it's about more than just entertaining yourself. Correct. And there's a lot of great content in Netflix, Hulu, and and Prime Video. And by that, I mean like documentaries. You know, yep. There's a lot of cool documentaries. There's also a lot of really well-written things that are really cool as well. So yep. you know, it can come from anywhere. Yeah. But I think if you want to be creative, you really can't you know, alcohol or hallucinogenics or whatever. You think you're being creative, but in reality, you're not helping yourself at all. Yeah. I think the term is self-medicating, which yeah. in case, like I always say that there's a time and a place. Sometimes you need to medicate the same way in, in medicine. Sometimes you need that Advil. Sometimes you need that Tylenol, but oftentimes it's better to build up the resilience. Like I'd rather use Advil as a last resort if I'm really in pain as opposed to taking it preemptively. Oh, I'm going skiing today and I think I'm going to get cold or a headache or something. Right. Yeah. I think that's important. I think diet's important also. I've been um, on a diet since February, um, trying to lose some weight. So I've lost a significant amount of weight. So, and the diet I'm doing is a keto diet. So I haven't had any sugar. Oh and- Yeah. And I think that's been really instrumental in also like not just the way I function and feel, but also um, thinking, right? Like just Mm -hmm. being able to think through things. There's kind of a clarity that comes about. In the beginning, you feel kind of crappy just because you're you're not used to consuming so much sugar. But after you get that over that hump, you're like, gosh, I feel really different. And now if I have any kind of sugar, it's like drinking like a can of caffeine or something. Like it's really weird. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Actually, it's really interesting how your body and your taste buds adjust to whatever you're consuming, because I don't think I know that many. It's really hard to imagine a 12-year-old say that's really enjoys the taste of coffee or really enjoys the taste of beer. But nearly everybody by the time they're 25-ish, I'd say learns to like both of those things. I never became that partial to coffee, but chai tea, how different is that really? If you think about it, we all have these ways of adjusting to whatever we ask our body to start doing, start consuming. 
I noticed that when I started getting a lot more active after moving to Colorado and wanting to do a lot of bicycling around, three days of sitting would suddenly just make me feel nuts and even start dragging, to be honest. I ride my bike a ton too, and I used to. And it's awesome. I used to, everyone's like, why do you like riding like for five or six hours? And I'm like, well, one, it's pretty awesome to be outdoors and in Colorado, right? And mm-hmm. two, there's no distraction. You know, sometimes you just get lost in thinking about, you're looking at the road, but you're really thinking about a lot of other things because your mind eventually wants to catch up to that, yeah. to what your body's doing. So I think that's really cool as well. So I love bike riding. And one thing I think of in this current era is that we are inputting so much information into our brains, whether it be our normal sensory stuff that we're evolutionarily used to, but also scrolling through Twitter or anything we're looking at or any of the constant, you turn on the news on TV and it's not like 50 years ago, it would just be one person reporting on the news and maybe they'll move over to the sportscaster, the weathercaster. Now you put on CNN or something like that. And there's the banners scrolling things across. You're inputting a lot more information and our brain sometimes does need time to catch up. And I have some of my best ideas when I'm on long bike rides because your hands are on the handlebars. You can't pull out your phone. You can't pull out your camera. You can't start looking at all these other things, your hands on your handlebars. And what you're really intaking is how the air smells, how the trees smell, how much your body is in pain, depending on how often you bike and how much you're going uphill and nothing else. So I would definitely put a plug in for that because it is an awesome way to just kind of let your brain catch up and process information and ideas. Right. And the other thing is, is that you've got to work hard. It's hard work doing a startup. I mean, I think people Mm -hmm. think it's glamorous or whatever, and they don't see the unsuccessful ones because they don't talk about the unsuccessful (laughs) ones, right? Yeah. No one's talked about the guy that created the alarm clock around your neck, you know, (laughs) because he he didn't make it, (laughs) right? And, And people ask me all the time, like, wow, how come you're so successful? And I'm like, well, really, you should see how much unsuccessful I've been too. But you don't hear about that because I'm not running around going, oh, shoot, you know, that one failed. I actually often say that finding a success in life is a lot like rolling the dice and you got to get boxcars, two sixes. And really, the only way you guarantee that you eventually get that successful roll, which is a one in 36 chance, is that you roll the dice 36 times or however many times is going to vary because there is a luck element to it. There's some things that you're going to try and they're not going to work because of factors that are beyond your control. So maybe it takes one person 21 rolls to get that pair of sixes and another person, it takes them 50. But it's oftentimes is a matter of just you have to continue rolling it and continue rolling it until you get that result. Right. Most definitely. People say, oh, I want to make a lot of money. I want to start up. I'm like, well, don't do a startup. Go learn a skill and go work for Google and you can make a million dollars a year. Mm -hmm. But you know, in your startup, you're really taking a chance. You may not make any money right? Yeah. And you might lose money. So that's the key. Like when I find a founder, I'm like, do you like to work really hard? Because if you don't, this isn't going to work out for you. So I just want to ask before we wrap up about that working hard, because 31 startups in 31 days, especially with this malware issue, sounds like working hard. And what do you have to say about, say, periods? Because we all have limited capacities. And sometimes it's not about working eight hours. And you said that usually we only do three hours, or I like to do two or three, what I call 90 minute power sessions. That's just how I know I work best. If I can just 90 minutes, crank out a lot of stuff and then take a break. And also like kind of the needing to sleep for creativity. How do you balance the need for sleep, the need for space, the need to 
understand our limitations with sometimes some periods in life needing to actually put in a lot of just crank out a lot of hard work when we're actually pursuing something. The interesting part about this experiment too, right? Because I knew there was an end. In a startup, you don't know there was an end. So you really do have to have that discipline like, hey, I've got to walk away and I got to go sleep or I'm going to go away for the weekend or I'm going to turn my phone off for a couple of days or whatever. You've got to recognize that because my first startup was an IT company and we were just kind of trying to get all the procedures done. And I literally worked almost straight every day for 12, 15 hours, Mm -hmm. maybe more for like four months. And it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. It was great to do for the business. It was bad for everything else in my life. Everything else suffered greatly. And I think that if you don't recognize that, you'll lose people in your life. You'll lose relationships. You'll piss people off in your startup. You'll do a lot of stuff because it's just hard to keep up with that momentum, with that speed of execution. And I think a lot of founders get caught up in that. And then they Mm -hmm. realize two years later, like, oh, my health is bad. I lost my wife. My kids hate me, blah, 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 blah. Because it consumes so much of your energy. And I've heard so many people say that you can't really become that ultimate level of success in that area by just working nine to five or just doing the 40 hours a week. You have to throw something else in there, especially people who are holding down some form of work, whether it be a full-time job or even part-time job driving for Uber or something while they start the thing up. That's a large time-consuming endeavor. It is. In this experiment, I made sure that I got really good sleep. I made sure that I had to execute every day. That was get up and make sure I got it up and running. And then the ones that were like, oh, this isn't going to work. I didn't waste more than three hours on it. I was like, this is a placeholder in my life and that's it. Yeah. And so of these 31 businesses you started up in July, If you were to say, talk to the audience here about one specific business that you think my listeners should check out, which one would you pick? Boy, that's a good one. (laughs) I mean, you know, I wanted to do a podcast, a paid podcast for Aspen Mm -hmm. Capital Fund. So I really liked it. You know, I've been talking about it. You know, it's been an idea, but to actually get it off the ground and do it was cool, but it takes a lot of work to do a podcast. I mean, people think, I had to write a script. I had to record it. I had to get a tailor and a trailer for an intro or an outro, I should say. Luckily, I had the equipment already, so I didn't have to buy anything new. But I learned a lot about podcasting in a 12-hour period. And so I think those are cool. I also like the newsletter stuff. Those are really cool. Kind of like Passe, but not really if it's pertinent to you because you can create a paid newsletter or paid courses or anything like that. I think anything around those that community stuff is really cool. And for me, I like to be able to build a community. And so I've been working on this kind of keto Mexican thing on my own. And then I'm like, well, I'm just going to create these recipes and put it behind a paywall, right? Well, no one really wants to pay for recipes that you could probably find on the internet for free. But it was cool because I had people that were a part of another group called New Mexican Food Group. Mm -hmm. It's got, I don't know how many people are in it. And I put the idea out there and a lot of people were asking me about it. And they wanted to follow along. They wanted to learn more about the recipes and all that stuff because Mexican food typically is kind of fattening, right? Yeah. But it was really cool because keto diets are pretty bland. And so I think Mm -hmm. building that community and doing that sort of stuff applied to the recipe idea, applied to the podcast idea, applied to the newsletter idea. So there's a common theme that started to see it takes time to build a community. And I think once you build that community, it's it's a goldmine. So it seems like the summation of all this is that, first of all, 
get your rest, take care of your body, take care of yourself, but also be getting out there, say, in front of people or getting out there, consume the right things, be observant, be open-minded and be out there in front of people. And eventually something's, you're going to be inspired by something, something's going to stick and something's going to produce a good lifestyle, a good community and good living. Right. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's the really cool thing about business is being able to reap the successes, right? I don't think anybody really wants it on their tombstone. Like, I wish it would have worked more. Yeah. So I think that's the cool thing about having a startup is it's hard work in the beginning, but once you get it going, then you can kind of dictate what your life's going to be all about. I mean, some people do want to work all the time. I mean, Elon Musk, apparently he does a startup every day in, in his workday and really? some of them fail and some of them don't. Yeah. And I didn't know that, but obviously he lives working, right? Like he, he didn't need yeah. to be working. <laughs> That's so crazy, you know? Yeah. Like he's doing all kinds. I don't know how he has time in the day to do all the things that he does. If you actually follow him through a day, it's like, man, like, what does he do? He only has smoothies because it's fuel for his body. That's the only yeah. reason he eats. It's fuel yeah. for his body, right? Not for enjoyment, just to eat, just to keep him moving forward. Yeah. It's like he's cut everything else out of his life besides working, which whatever someone wants, I could right. never handle that much working, but yeah. You know. I mean, everyone's built differently. Right. So yeah. And sometimes like, it's just about knowing what you want and going out there and living according to that truth. So Greg, thank you so much for joining us today on Actions Antidotes and telling everyone the story about starting 31 companies up in 31 days. It seems like a daunting task. I don't know how many of my listeners will be able to do something like that, but get out there and get your creative juices going because it seems like even though there's that hard work period, the creative period has to come before it. You have to figure out how to be creative. Most definitely. I've proven that you can do it. You can do a startup. And by the way, none of these startups took tens of thousands of dollars. We're talking that the most expensive one was the pet ID because you have to buy a printer and, and the materials and that sort of stuff. But you can definitely start your own startup. Don't let anything or anyone hold you back. Just dive in and just figure it out. And that's what a lot of entrepreneurs do. Just figure it out. So when you're thinking, how do I do this? Whether it's how do I produce a cat ID? You have to say, okay, no, I'm going to figure it out. I figured it out. It's like, I take this template, I use this printer and stuff like that. So whatever your idea is, it's just a matter of setting aside time and saying, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to figure it out. Or maybe you figure it out while you're on your bicycle because your hands are not tempted to browse random websites or something like that. Right. Most definitely. You know, choose your time wisely, build something. That's the cool thing is building, even if you're building like a doghouse, it's cool, right? Yeah. And that's what it seems to come down to eventually is just how you spend your time. So hopefully you all got something out of this and learning on your path to figure out how to better spend your time and your path towards aligning your life behind what you really want to do. Because in the end, that's what we all really need. Greg, thank you again very much. And I hope everyone else tunes in again for more episodes of Actions Antidotes, where I will interview more people with interesting stories and interesting success that they had achieved around their true passions. Thank you very much. Thank you. 